1: I don't think that's how the saying goes. No. Another day, another dollar. I need another dollar. Um, Yeah. I don't know what to tell you about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway.
1: Well, Anita, let's have you start out this week. What's been happening with you? You know, before we started recording, I was thinking to myself, what did happen this week? And I don't even know. I can't even remember. I do remember one thing. And it's this term that I have coined and I feel really proud of it. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah. Okay. The term is grief washed. Ooh. Do you want to know what it means? Yeah. So all of my, well, not all of my kids, but a few of my kids, I I think it's funny that I can say a few of my kids because there's more than a few, um, have really, really struggled in school. And they've been in therapy, they've, you know, worked with the school psychologists, their teachers, and everybody says, oh, it's just grief, it's grief, it's grief, it's grief. Um, And it's taken a long time to realize that if you grief wash things, it's actually not helpful for them. Because it's like, actually, there's probably some things underneath that, of course, the grief hasn't helped, and the pandemic and things like that. But I think it's so interesting, and it's um, almost not doing them any favors to grief wash everything that happens. Does that make sense? All I can
0: think about is stonewashed jeans,
1: <laughs> which are like back in style. so
0: yeah, that's so weird.
1: but when you when you explain everything away with grief, sometimes you miss things that are actually not grief related. And I think that's probably true of adults also, but adults might have a little bit more analytical power and a little bit more time being in their own body to be like, no, this isn't, I don't know, this isn't just Do you want
0: to speak to a specific example of this?
1: Yeah. So like I was talking about how it's in school, it's like, oh, actually maybe they have a learning disability Or maybe they have ADHD or, you know what I'm saying, maybe it's actually something that's not grief related, but we've explained it away with grief for the last three years. And they're not getting the most help that they probably need because it's all been explained by grief. So are they getting help that they need despite that? So it's taken me having this realization that I need to dig deeper To try and figure out what's going on.
0: So Anita's gotten a bigger shovel. To Mm -hmm. dig deeper. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) To get away from the grief washing. Yeah. I wonder if anybody else has experienced that. I know we've talked about it. In terms of like. How much leeway do you give your kids. When they're like. Oh I'm feeling grief. Like does that get to be an excuse for everything in their life. Like I don't want to put away my clean clothes. I feel sad. Like no. What's the balance in letting your kids grieve and not using it as a a crutch or an excuse or it grief washing over other things that might be going on.
0: I feel like I can use that to myself (laughs) since I have no kids but the death has informed so much of what my life is now and I know that that's different than kids because they are learning and developing and you're dealing with things that are like school and learning abilities and attention and all that stuff. But I think that could also apply to the widow as well.
1: Yeah, I like, think so. It's I'm, hard. Well, like in your case, Mel, you just got diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say sure. it? Yep. And maybe did you explain a lot of those things away with grief? Well, it's interesting because actually you have to rule out a
0: d h d and p t s d
1: mhm,
0: and sometimes you can have all of them with a s d but it's true. it's like sometimes I'm like, well, maybe this is this and maybe this is this, or yeah, I'm a musician, so therefore this means this. It's just normal in in the realm yeah. so yeah it's it's interesting.
1: Yeah, so that's what I've been thinking about this week. Um, you finished your skate ramp, right? It's ready for action.
0: Mm hmm, you guys. I haven't put up pictures yet, but I've painted the top part. And it's, it's very the lovely side and beautiful. Part. And I just have to do some finishing touches and then seal it. And then you might get some skate videos. And for those who have been worried about my face getting shredded <laughs> because it's right next to a brick wall, I have covered the brick wall with bubble wrap.
1: Yeah. I told my dad that and he laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought it was great. Well, I mean, it was in the
0: garage already and it was free. So I'm trying to now do the free option since paint was expensive. It's like $120. For a gallon of paint. The ramp was expensive. And Anita, I was a disaster all week. I sound hoarse because I had literally been screaming my face off on Tuesday. You scream your face off in the car. That's where it happened this week, and I would like to say I'm a very calm person, and it's never happened to me like this before, and I could not stop myself from screaming. I've had some pressing situations that are just not working for me right now, and I lost it. It was an (laughs) out-of-body experience.
1: (laughs) So you need some throat lozenges now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny that it's like, what, it's Sunday today when we're recording this? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Five days and I'm still hoarse. It was how. way
1: worse, though, the day after when I talked to you. I was like, croak, croak. You know what? You know what's been helpful, though, to me? the The
0: friends that I've talked to, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. Like, guess what I did? I'm the worst and I'm so embarrassed of myself. My mom friends are like, I scream all the time.
1: I know. I said that to you. I was like, yeah, that's like a normal Tuesday for me.
0: Well, thanks for helping normalize that for me because I'm like, should I be in the psych ward? What is the deal? But man, it's like my brain can only handle so much stress and I have a lot of stress going on. So I guess, I guess for it to get to that point at this point shows that I've been holding a lot of stuff for a long time because I'm pretty, pretty calm usually. Yeah. is yeah. there
1: like scream therapy though, where you just like go to the top of a mountain and scream?
0: I guess we should mine sign was, you up for that. I mean, I mine was fun. it was funny and embarrassing because I was on the phone and like I couldn't stop screaming and I had to hang up on myself. And then I called a friend, you phoned and a friend kept screaming at her but mixed with words so she could help translate what was going on. Oh my gosh, you guys, I just I've I've had a long time without any like respite and that's the problem and I'm surrounded by insanity. That's all I'm going to say. And it's yeah. true. But Anita is a good friend. So <laughs> your you're not knob. part of my insanity. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even ha- had to have any marriage counseling yeah, this recently, week, So we're doing good. <laughs> How are you all doing? Are you guys surviving? Yeah. Is- I feel like there's there's a- been even more upset in the, the world. Force. Especially in the United States. So yeah. it's just, the, the world is like sobbing and screaming and I'm feeling it. So. Yeah,
1: it's been a heavy, it's been a heavy couple of weeks. Just yeah. like the world, like you said, it's just crazy. Um, and I don't even really watch the news. So like, I'm just feeling it. I know I had to tell you about some of the news. I was like, Mel, I have to tell you about this. And then I had to explain all of it. And you're like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm like, it's real bad, Mel. It's bad, Mel.
0: (laughs) I feel it, though, through the air. I just don't know about it.
1: Uh, But the good news is, Mel, is that we're going to Camp Widow in a couple of weeks. And then we've got Camp Widow in Australia in a few more weeks after that.
0: Yes. Guys, come if you can. If you can't, we understand.
1: Yeah. But it's going to be great. Even if you feel like you don't know anybody and you're going there totally alone, I can almost like 99.999% guarantee that you're going to meet people there and it's going to be like the best experience and you're going to go away with friends that you didn't have before you came.
0: The point nine or 1 or whatever number that you mentioned, like yeah. the other part of that is if you just don't leave your room, then <laughs> right. you won't make any friends.
1: Yeah. Like, I think you have to try not to make friends, actually. So it's a great place. But uh, we hope we're crossing our fingers. The airlines and flights have been so squirrely lately. We're like, oh, please bless that we can get to and from Camp Widow in 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 a peaceful, easy way. My friend had to fly back from Tampa
0: to Salt Lake today and they just totally canceled her flight. So last night she drove to Orlando and then got a flight out from there.
1: The world is crazy with everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so hopefully we'll be there and we'll we'll Well, get to chat with you and see you guys. Uh, What else is going on that's good, Mel? What about like the Widow Wives Club? That's good. That's good. We did a top 10 list of why I
0: rule. Not I, (laughs) Mel, but like I, whoever decides to respond (laughs) to the
1: post. I love that idea. Like just taking a minute and praising yourself for all the good stuff that you're doing. And not even like being half-hearted about it, but being like, no, this is why, not I'm cool, not I'm okay, like I am the best. So you guys do it, see how it makes you feel. Yeah, I started writing it down in my, not that I ever do a daily
0: anything because I am I have a hard time with consistency with that stuff, but this has just been such an extra special hard week for me. And I had to separate myself from everybody else's insanity so I'm like, I'm going to write why I rule. And then I did it and I thought of our friends in the Widow Wives Club that struggle with self-esteem or just knowing that they can do things or dealing with stuff like some any little tiny thing can just break your spirit that wouldn't break your spirit if you haven't experienced the death. And so I'm like, you know what, I wonder if there are other people in our club like like me that just kind of need to see on paper or on digital format how they are actually doing a good job. And you know what? Even I love how people made it their own because some people they're like, I can't get to 10. I'm just going to get to four today. And that's awesome. I'm like, yeah. Or Or like I got out of bed today and that's it. I'm winning. And it's so true. It's like sometimes that is the biggest win. So Everybody, whether you had 10 or you had one or you are just still here blinking your eyes and breathing and getting out of bed. Maybe sometimes you're only getting
1: out of bed just to use the bathroom. Good job. I mean, that is something. You don't have to get out of bed. You could just you pee could in the bed. You could just pee. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You are, that is a big deal. So, <laughs> yeah. If you would like to join the Widow Wives Club, go to Facebook. Find us. Answer the questions. Don't be dumb. Yeah. Or do be Thanks. dumb. But you won't get in.
1: <laughs> We're just trying to protect the group and protect s- you. And the so. secret
0: is you have to hit the little box that says yes, I agree. So many get declined from that.
1: Yeah. Um, if you guys want to help keep the podcast going, help send us to Australia, to California, to all the places so we can come meet you and speak to you, go to patreon.com slash WWDN.
0: you can join one of our four tiers that we have available. Widow friend, widow bestie, widow wife, and dead husband. And you get different perks at each level. At the $10 a month level and up, you get access to ad-free episodes. So that might be something you're interested in.
1: Check it out. You get a shout-out at the widow bestie level and above, and we're going to do that right now. We're going to start with our secret dead husbands. We have a couple now. Yeah. And to them, we say... I remember when Rock was young. Me and Widow had so much fun. <laughs> Constance Talbeck. David Kelly.
0: Don Satterwhite. Gail Bell. Ivan the Meisner. Kat. Krista Waite. Maya Glasser. Woo, woo woo. Ah episode today. Sam finlayson Amber Vela. Amy Hartman Martell. Amy
1: Neal. Amy Sapp, Ashley Hahn, Barbara Schneebugger, Brandy Younger, what? Brittany Pedro, Chris Steffen, Christina Schifflet, Cindy Wilkerson, Danielle Catterberg, Nada Debbie Downer, Dennis Brazo, Jean Marie Massey, Jenny Taylor, Jennifer Beale, Jennifer Brown, Jennifer E. Hassel, Jenny Wang, Carol Schultz, Kelly Ford. Spooky Kirsten stromberg Clausen, Laura Aguirre-Penner. Lauren Old. Leslie Webb. Lou Clausen, Marie Hoffman. MK Anderson. Patricia Wiest. Rachel Barbosa. Sarah Morris. Sunshine Haven.
0: Sylvia the World Traveler Shore.
1: Taylor Snyder.
0: The Winehouse Karen Cornejo.
1: Vicki Spit the Widow of Kirkoff. Anna Tracy. Christina Scambato. Christine Anderson. Sydney Raynaud. Connie Remich. Don Barber. Debbie Fells. Deborah Westwood. Diana Becker. Emily Toledo. Eric Vandermullen. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Gia Benoit. Gina Haas. Ian Cini. Ileana Bell. Jackie. Jane. Jennifer Davis. Jenny Armstrong, Jenny Barrow, Jocelyn Milo, Judy Malkin, Julie Stevenson, Karina Jacobo,
0: Kathy Murray,
1: Katie Radcliffe,
0: Cara Scara,
1: Scream Interpreter Extraordinary. Oh,
0: she was my Scream Interpreter. It's true. Oh my gosh.
1: Kevin Ferry, Chris Morgan, Laura Bradbury,
0: Laura Keeley, Lindsay ha. <laughs> oh man. Laurie Farrington. Marjorie Lewis. Mary McGowan. Megan Montague. Melissa Bowers. Melissa Hancock. Missy Schubert. Peter Rukavina. Becky the Zebra. Robin Flam. The top 100 most amazing human, Sarah Kennedy. Stacey Saywert. Tammy Terravist. Tara Wallace. Volunteering Val
1: Packer. And finally, by request, Quasimodo Wendy. <laughs> Poor sorry girl. about your eye <laughs> thank you so much to everybody who supports us on patreon we are actually floored every time we look at the people who are here to support and help other people find the podcast and get the podcast and be able to listen to the podcast we love you we are impressed with all of you guys so much
0: yes and if you would like to help support the podcast but aren't able to commit to patreon please consider buying us some tacos at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now
1: FYI, I've got a new taco place for us to try, Mel.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait. When I when my throat stops hurting from screaming, then we'll
1: go. Yes, 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 yes. If you cannot support us either of those ways, will you just please give us a rating and review? It really helps people to find the podcast when they need to find it.
0: Please a nice one. Guys, remember we have an app. It's in the app store of any type of operating system. So Apple, Google Play, whatever. What do we do now? And it has access to all the episodes, calming music, videos, all the list of sponsors. Yeah. So if you want the discounts, but you're like, I'm not listening to your ads, you dummies. You could get it from the app. (laughs) Guys, we're just trying to help support the podcast. That's what ads are for. We're sorry. Also, get some therapy, everybody. I need like five therapists
1: for myself. Oh, man. Okay, Mel. Now are we ready to get to the episode?
0: You guys, you're going to love Maya, a.k.a. the rabbi.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Let's do this. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We are two young widows, and we're just trying to figure out and help you figure out. Widow. We We do. Now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. Mel, guess what? What? We have
0: a first. I know. I'm so excited
1: for this. I know. This is really exciting. So today, our guest, it's a first. This is a rabbi that we're going to talk to. Not just any rabbi. Rabbi Maya Glasser. Oh, hi, Maya. Hello.
0: You might think that Maya's here to talk to us about clergy things. And actually, it's not true. Because Maya is one of us. When the rabbi's a widow, what do you do? We're going to find out.
1: Maya, where Where are you
0: right now? I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Originally from the Northeast,
2: I moved to Jacksonville about a year ago. So I am still getting used to the culture and all the differences between the North and the South of this country.
1: Um, it's too hot to live in Florida, FYI. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.
2: It is, but the winter is amazing so okay. it kind of evens out
1: <laughs> we went to florida for camp widow and i was like no i cannot live here it is too hot it is too humid and it was and on- only march yeah so good job for
0: alligators <laughs> seriously there were no alligators at the hotel though <laughs> okay know,
1: but
0: okay fine okay anita digresses so maya how old are you I am 32 years old. So when you think of a rabbi, you think of someone that's like 60 and above and in a suit. And you are not those things, nor are you a man. So this is so cool. I am excited to hear about your journey. And I'm bummed out that we're going to hear about your death journey. But also, welcome. Nice to meet you and to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's
1: my honor. Oh, so Maya, can we just first talk about rabbihood, Rabbi Du <laughs> I don't of know course. what the proper term is for this, but okay, so we were talking before the recording and we were asking about how common it is for there to be women rabbis. And so Maya was explaining a little bit about that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about women in Rabbidom? Rabbi- <laughs>
0: rabbihood?
2: I'd love to. So I think probably right around when this will be airing, um, June of 2022 is the 50th anniversary of the first female American rabbi being ordained. Her name is Rabbi Sally Presan. She's a personal hero of mine. And she basically said to the establishment and seminary, I want to be a rabbi. And it doesn't matter what gender I am. I'm just going to do it. And she did it. And she's awesome. And even before that, there was a rabbi named Regina Jonas in Germany who was ordained right before she died in the Holocaust. So I always like to give her a shout out as well because she was also a trailblazer and very brave and then unfortunately lived in the wrong place at the wrong time and never really got to actually be a rabbi, but she was the very first. So she's important. Wow.
1: Did you always know you wanted to be a rabbi?
2: I've known since I was a teenager so basically uh, I had a path yeah I'm one of those people like I had a calling I just knew
1: that's so interesting because as a teenager I that would not have been anywhere near my like goals in life or desires when I grew up
0: yeah mine was like watch unsolved mysteries and make pizzas out of bread loaves of bread that was my goal for my life. And you were like, I'm going to be a rabbi. I think you're going to make a difference in the <laughs> yeah. world. Your calling is much more helpful than mine. Well, you know, pizzas are good too. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Maya, will you explain to us and our listeners the differences between the Orthodox type of Judaism and then your, the, would you call it a what do you call it? What's the differentiating term? A sect? It's not a sect, is it? A sect. A sect the, works. Yeah. The okay. The differentiating differentiating mm-hmm. denomination that you are a part of.
2: Sure. So I'm a Reformed Jew. It's actually the largest uh, Jewish movement in America. We have between eight and nine hundred congregations, and the spectrum of denominations is what I imagine exists in many religions, which is you kind of get those who treat um, Torah and other ancient writings as law, as binding law and those who interpret it. So as a reformed Jew, I believe that ancient texts, our Torah, our Bible, um, all of the things that rabbis wrote a long time ago, those things are important and historical and meaningful, but I'm not bound to them. I don't have to observe those laws as they are written. I get to have the opportunity and the challenge of saying, I live in 2022 and how does this matter to me? How can this influence my life? Um, in between there's conservative Judaism, which they do see all of those writings mentioned before as binding by law, and they're also egalitarian. So they also do have female clergy. They all sit together in services. Um, they're, you know, that, that middle of the roadway where they kind of pull from various areas to make their version of an authentic Judaism. And then you have Orthodox, which is the most stringent. And even within the Orthodox movement, there are a ton of ways to, to be a Jewish person. So you have modern Orthodoxy, which, you know, you dress, you know, in a suit to go to work all the way to, you know, who you see in Brooklyn and in the really, you know, Jewish neighborhoods in Jerusalem, where you wear the black hats and the special outfits. um, And you don't really associate with anyone outside your community. And those people are, you know, they live in a way that binds them to Jewish law in the, in the strictest way possible, more than the other denominations.
0: That is so informative. Thank you for letting us know. I've always wondered the different the different flavors. Of, that sounds so weird of, of Judaism. <laughs> so, well, we're glad that you're here and props to you for being a woman who's in her 30s, who is a rabbi. That is like super badass. Thank you. So let's talk about the other thing, though. Why are we here today? We would like to hear about your person who's not here anymore. So tell us about how you met him and who is he? Uh, My
2: person is Jacob or Jake. Uh, We met on an app in New York city, very modern love story. Uh, We met at Bryant park for the first time and that became our spot. So that's actually where he ended up proposing. And that's where we took our wedding party photos in the midst of COVID. Um, So that was really our place in the city. I was starting my fourth year of rabbinical school. He was a grad student and he was one of those tour guides on the double decker buses.
1: No way. He was. So excellent. He was a huge
2: history nerd. So he just loved memorizing random facts about things. It was the perfect job for him. And we actually used to spend our early days dating uh, when I would go on the bus rides because we both had just non-compatible schedules. And so I would just go to class all day or go to my internship. And then I'd ride his last bus of the night and then we'd have to go out to dinner because like that would be the way we could see each other. The bus would drop you off at dinner. Basically. Um, (laughs) So it was super fun. I got a bunch of tours and, you know, having, I lived in New York most of my life. So having been there, I never actually went on the buses because, you know, New Yorkers don't usually do that kind of thing, but it was so much fun. So... That's who he is. We met on an app. Um, he was raised Orthodox Jewish, and I was reformed. so that was a whole fun way of interacting, even as we got to know each other.
1: Okay, wait. You said that you guys met, and you had your engagement photos during the pandemic, which our means- wedding photos. Oh, our wedding photos. Your wedding photos, which means this was not that long ago. Correct. Ah, uh, <laughs> did you guys meet? We met in September of
2: 2016. He proposed in February of 2019. Okay. We were supposed to get married in November of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up having our ceremony in April of 2021. We moved to Jacksonville in June of 2021. And he died in September of 2021. <sighs> oh. That's the timeline, yeah.
1: How old
0: was he? Thirty-four.
1: You- okay. What? Why did you guys move to Jacksonville? I'm assuming you guys finished your schooling and then life was taking you to the next, the next scene. So tell us about what what was going on there.
2: Yeah. So fast forward a few years, um, I finished grad school in 2018, and I got a job in New Jersey. Um, which was close enough for both of us because we're both New Yorkers. Both our sets of parents live in the New York area, all our friends. So Jersey was acceptable despite the stigma of New Jersey. And I would like to say New Jersey is much better than everyone says it is. So go New Jersey. I like Jersey. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we were there for three years for my first job, which I was an assistant rabbi at a congregation right by Rutgers in New Brunswick and then um, due to the pandemic there were some staffing changes and they could not have an assistant rabbi anymore and so i was thrust into rabbinic placement which is its own beast um, with many rules and regulations and i was not allowed to visit anywhere because of covid so i ended up uh, being a good fit with this congregation here in jacksonville and could not visit and signed a contract before we had even gone to Jacksonville for the first time. So you
1: you committed
2: sight
0: unseen? I did. I had to. That was wow. the rule. Oh, gosh. You mentioned that, that Jacob was Orthodox Jew, and you said you're the Reformed. So do, could you go to the same congregation, or would, does that mean you go to different ones? Like, how does that work? That's a great question. And is this okay to ask?
2: It's definitely okay to ask. He laughs at this. So the very first conversation we had on the app is very indicative of who he was and of our relationship. So he had not had much experience on the apps. Um, He had actually been married before, and after he got divorced, he kind of dated and then decided he was ready for a relationship. So he went on to the wide world of dating apps. And I had been on there for years. I went to NYU, where I made a lot of wonderful male friends, but none of them uh, for my team, let's say. And so I, have to look <laughs> I thought
1: you were going to say you made a lot of money. So I'm a little different <laughs> Made a lot of arts, no. artsy friends.
2: <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Um, so I, I was like on the apps from, for most of my college experience. And so I had seen it all and he messages me and he tries to come across as very smart. And I kind of said, yeah, okay, sure. And forgot about him. Cause like next move on. Um, but 12 hours later, he messaged me again and he said, I think I came off as kind of a jerk. Could we start over? And I said, sure. Cause that I had never seen before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've never seen humility on the app right? before.
2: <laughs> I mean, yes, if you've done that, you know what I'm talking about. So, um, so I said, sure. But the next conversation we had was where he told me he had been raised that reformed Judaism, my form of Judaism was horrible and silly and should not exist because it wasn't authentic Judaism So then I wanted to get to know him just so I could teach him. Um, Then I was like, this is a project I need to uh, must educate um, on the merits of what I'm doing with my life and, you know, my religious identity. So we started talking and it was fascinating because he had decided not to be Orthodox. So he had basically left um, the Orthodox people, but still maintained a really strong connection with his family. Um, They, you know, they loved him no matter what. And so I would go to his house for some of the Jewish holidays and then yes, it would be a different congregation that I was used to. So I would sit with his mom and the women um, and he would sit with um, other male people and uh, it was very different and difficult to navigate. We did an okay job of doing all the holidays since all our parents were so geographically close. We kind of made it work and, but it was always a wide variety of experiences because it's the same religion, but it just looked very different when how we practiced it.
1: Did his parents have a problem with you guys being in a relationship? Were they like, you're, you're dragging him down.
2: No, actually. Um, I always tell people his mom accepted me for what I did before he actually did. Um, because she said, it's amazing. You're devoting your life to like God and to serving the people. And that's wonderful. So she got it right away. When I met Jake, he had never seen a woman lead a service or chant from the Torah, which is, you know, our holy scroll that we read aloud for special services. He had never seen women be in any kind of leadership position or wear any kind of ritual attire because that's all reserved for men in Orthodox world. And so it was like a slow burn of, okay, today you're going to see me put this on and it might freak you out, but this is what I do at school. So just watch me put on my prayer shawl and it's going to be Okay. And those are the kind of things that would happen.
0: Here's a weighted blanket for
1: you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. To deal with your emotions. Right. <laughs> so did Jacob, did he graduate from school also?
2: um, No, he left his work unfinished on, on because he wanted to just be in school forever. Um, oh. He was writing like, two PhD dissertations and like all this stuff. And he just never wanted to finish it so
0: what was his specialty
2: um medieval history and semitic languages wow wow. he loved the fourth crusade so
1: (laughs) he was living in the past man he loved that
2: (laughs) yeah that fourth crusade
0: (laughs) so you moved to jacksonville with jacob Mm -hmm. and what led to his death
2: so he had a rare autoimmune condition That was being treated by some doctors in New York who are specialists in this, Uh, but he was not a really healthy person. Uh, The condition caused chronic pancreatitis, which is extremely painful, and it caused like type two slash weird kind of type three diabetes type three. That's what he always said he had, type G. I have type yes. 7 diabetes. I have type,
0: type Jacob diabetes. <laughs>
2: exactly. Everything was type Jacob. Like, that's who he was. He said, you know, I really want to get this rare condition named after me <laughs> if I have to go through all of this.
1: Uh, <laughs> what was the name of it?
2: Oh, goodness. Um, the Fourth Crusade
1: It had a really long medical
2: name. Yeah, fourth, the Fourth Crusade, yeah. <laughs> 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 it was like something with a deficiency in beta cell receptors. Oh, something something very really fancy. long that i used yeah. to know but now it's left my brain so okay. fair enough fair um enough. so <laughs> he had an autoimmune condition he was when i first met him he was in the hospital probably three times a year um with chronic pancreatitis and severe pain for one to two weeks at a time um he took a lot of medication for a lot of issues because they were trying to manage kind of the symptoms since they were still learning about the disease. Um, and so he was at doctors a lot. We were at the hospital together a lot. It was kind of normal, got used to it. Um, as they learned more and he went on the clinical trial and they kind of figured out what diet was best for him. It got down to once, maybe twice a year. Um, so that was good. And that was kind of where we were when we moved. He hadn't been to the hospital in over a year when we moved, which was really great. Um, or so we thought. And So the story is that I went through the Jewish high holidays, which are the biggest, most difficult things for a rabbi to do. Uh, It's a lot of services, a lot of preparation. It's those days that, you know, everyone comes to temple where you see everyone, you know, at least once a year. That's the time. Really stressful stuff. And it was literally the day after Yom Kippur, which was the end of that period, where he just didn't feel good. His back was hurting. He also had chronic back issues. He'd had surgery because he had been in a car accident. So basically couldn't catch a break. So he just wasn't feeling good, which was normal. And my dad was in town for the holiday and was gonna come watch me lead services. So we decided that Jake was just gonna stay home and rest. And like I went out with my dad and went to my service um Friday night got back like he was just exhausted not different for him um he was always tired he always hurt somewhere the next morning i he just wasn't like super responsive he like couldn't really like get up by himself but again like that had kind of happened before so i was like just sit tight and i like went to take my dad to the airport And I came back and he basically was like unconscious. By the time I got back, he couldn't move and he couldn't even talk before he had been able to talk and respond to me. He wasn't even responsive. So that's when I called nine one one. And apparently his, his blood sugar had skyrocketed, even though he hadn't been really eating in the last 24 hours and they took him to the hospital. And I was like, okay, it's, it's a, you know, a diabetes issue. It's, you know, I was so used to going to the hospital with him. Like I literally packed his bag, like a pair of shoes, a phone charger, extra pair of underwear. Like I knew we had done this so many times. Um, and so I packed his bag, I went to the hospital and I like told them who I was and they were like acting a little bit weird and I didn't know why, but I also had never been in Florida before. So like, was it a cultural thing? I don't know. Um, so they're like, okay, go sit in the waiting room and the doctor will come talk to you which I'm like, okay, that's never good. But then I was in denial. And you know, maybe this is just how they do things in Florida.
1: When in doubt, blame Florida. Always. You know? and it's yeah. been
2: working for me. It's, <laughs> it's usually an effective strategy. Um, so the doctor came in and she was amazing. Um, so thank you back to South Hospital and ER staff for being incredible. And she said, do you know how sick he is? And I said, well, yeah, he has a horrible autoimmune condition. He has like pancreas, kidney, liver, diabetes, blah, blah, blah. And she said, but no, do you know how sick he was when you like called the ambulance? And I said, ah, uh, like, okay. And she said he had basically had to be resuscitated in the ambulance. He stopped breathing and they got him back. So he was there. She said, I want you to know he's very, very sick. And it's critical. And he's hooked up to a lot of machines right now. Um, Side note, another part of this, as part of my rabbinic training, I spent a year as an intern on the palliative care floor of the hospital. (laughs) So I have spent a lot of time with people who are seriously ill, um, with people dying. I've sat with People who died because they had no one else to sit with them. Their family wasn't there. I've been with families when doctors have walked them through their options. I've been with families when people are taken off of their breathing devices. I've I've been in those situations. And the whole time that this happened, I was like, thank God, because the stress of even seeing this for the first time would have been So much more traumatic than it already was being my 34 year old husband. So I was just like, this is really ironic because I know how to take care of other people in this situation. So she like walked me in, and he had all these machines, and there were all these doctors. And you know, at that point, like it was critical, but he was stable, right? It wasn't. They weren't actively doing anything to him, you know, other than helping him breathe and like giving him medications so he could have a normal blood pressure. And I said, should I call his family? Um, His mom was in New York. She observed. The Sabbath, it was Saturday. So I didn't even know if she'd pick up her phone. Um, his sisters in South Florida, also observed the Sabbath. It was Saturday. Um, and she and the doctor said, Well, you know what it would mean if I told you to call his family. And I said, Yeah. So then I decided to anyway. But I was there alone. Um, and I just I sat with him and I he loved the Beatles, so I just played him Beatles songs yes. and sang to him. Yeah. Um, I still can't really, I still can't really listen to the Beatles right now, but I kept the favorite station in the car. Cause that's what he always would listen to. So it's there. I just can't listen to it. But, um, I sat with him a bit, uh, his numbers were kind of going up and down and then they said, okay, we're going to move him to the ICU. Um, at that point, my best friend was on the way. He lived in Washington, DC. So he was a bit closer than my family in New York. So he was like, I'm getting on a plane right now. Um, and he's wonderful. Shout out to Rob. I love you. Yay, um, Rob. <laughs> no, Rob. So Rob's the best. He literally, I didn't even know what was happening. And he's like, I'm getting on a plane. Like, so he was on a plane. My coworkers were on the way. So they, tra- they were transferring him to the ICU. And they were like, okay, just give us a minute to get him settled. So I went to sit in the lounge at the end of the hall and then like 20 minutes go by. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on. So then I was like, again, in denial, oh, maybe they just forgot to come tell me he's ready. So go down the hall, right? It's Florida. Yeah, they don't know. Um, So I go down the hall and there's like a huge team of doctors and medical staff outside his room. And I was like, okay, you know, I know what that means. Um, And they kind of looked at me and I saw the pity and I saw their faces. And then one of them came over to me and said, "Um, it's just going to be a few more minutes. Can you just go back and sit down?
1: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs>
2: <fine>. <laughs> and then this doctor came in and he said, we've been doing CPR on him for about 17 minutes and he's not breathing. Do you want us to keep going? And I said, you're the expert. You can decide that. So then he came back about five minutes later and said, yeah, we did everything we could. So I was alone. I'd been there all day with him. I was in complete shock. And then in that moment, I decided I was going to write a book. So I like pulled out my phone. I had turned 32 the previous week. So I was just like the first line of my book that is being written is, you know, I turned 32 on September 9th, 2021. And on September 18th, 2021, I became a widow but I couldn't even finish the second half of that sentence. So it still says on September 18th, 2021, dot, dot, dot. Like that's all I could get down. There's other parts of the book that are written, but not that sentence. So my coworker came, two of my coworkers came. I had literally been at this job two and a half months, right? (laughs) I'm so new. Um, They came, they sat with me. They started to talk to the hospital about logistics. Then Rob got there. Love you, Rob. He was there. And meanwhile, Jake's mom... Is on a plane on her way to come down. So she did answer the phone? Eventually. It took it took like 90 minutes for me to get through to her.
0: You had just dropped your dad off yep. at the airport. Yeah. Right? So then what did he, was he on a plane to go back to New York? And then he just came he right back? No, he didn't
2: come back. He was already, like he had gotten back to New York by the time we knew how critical it was. It was just all, everyone's flying in planes and missing each other. So Jake's mom was on the way. And at that point I just got really scared about having to tell her. Cause I was like, not only am I dealing with this, but now I'm going to have to tell his mother that like her only son is not here. Um, and she had like, she said, like she had packed a big bag. Cause she was like, well, we might have to be there for a while. We might have to take him to rehab. Like we all knew that this was really serious. And so I was trying to the only other person I told that he died besides like my parents was Jake's sister, because then she and her husband started getting the logistics kind of taken uh, care of. Because in Jewish tradition, you have to have someone sit with the body basically until it's buried um, because they believe that like they don't want your soul to be alone, um, that the soul is still in the body until it's buried. So that's also why burial needs to happen as soon as possible because otherwise they're kind of stuck in there. That's the traditional belief. They were trying to figure out and it's like again, Saturday. So the Sabbath is just ending. They're trying to figure out like who in Jacksonville can like take on these Jewish responsibilities. We had just moved there. There's a special cleaning process for the body purification. Um, It wears like a white shroud because it's like when you're going back to the earth, you're as pure as possible. So Jewish people are supposed to be buried like in a white shroud in a plain box because you're just going back like from once you came kind of nothing fancy. So they were trying to figure that out. Ironically enough, his parents were divorced and they had never managed to sell or get rid of his father's plot. So they had an extra plot in the family area next to his grandma who had died the year before. And so that luckily was just checked off the list. Like we didn't need to find somewhere to bury a 34 year old.
0: And where was this plot? In New Jersey.
1: Of course. (laughs) In New Jersey. Not Florida. Okay, wait, Maya. Back up a second, can you? Yes. So you call his mom 30,000 times. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to her, he was just still very ill, right? Mm -hmm. And then she gets on a plane and then he died. Mm -hmm. So she got on the plane expecting to come take care of her son and- but when she lands, she's going to find out that he actually passed away in the time that she was incommunicado. Correct. Yeah, right. Okay. And then you'd yeah. gotten a hold of the sister and she was on her way up.
2: No, she oh. wasn't. They were trying to figure out how to oh. get the body to be okay. like
1: purified. Oh, okay. So she they were just trying to arrange things but mm-hmm. not traveling to come do those things by themselves. Okay. Correct. That's hard. Most people, I guess, maybe... If you're Jewish, do you just have a funeral plot, like, ready to go? Because you know if you die, you have to be buried ASAP. So is it, like, normal to have a burial plot, like, everybody has one, on standby? (laughs) Um, not for 34-year-olds. Okay, but, like, for, like, grandma-age people, is that normal? Yes. Yes. There's
2: a lot of pre-planning that's done. Um, Like, my parents are in their 60s, and they already have theirs. Also, because he was buried in an Orthodox cemetery, there's also a different way of doing it um, because they have generations of their family there. That's why I was in New Jersey, um, because at one point someone lived there and they just bought like a big plot and then let people kind of fill in uh, because there's all kinds of rules and restrictions when it comes to the Orthodox cemetery also.
0: What if somebody doesn't know the cause of death? Do you just forego an autopsy because it would take time and they couldn't be buried within however many hours it's supposed to be? Traditional Jews,
2: uh, Orthodox Jews, they will not do autopsies or organ donations or anything like that, Um, both because of the time and because you are supposed to be whole because when the Messiah comes, the belief is that everyone will kind of rise again. So, right, the difference between Judaism and Christianity is that our messiah hasn't come yet. um we don't we don't have a jesus yet. but we're always praying and hoping for for that messiah. so everyone has to be not cut up and not missing any parts in order for them to be resurrected by the messiah. so
1: what happens this is i mean we are like asking you so many random questions but <laughs> what happens when there's like a crime and it's not your choice to do an autopsy does that cause like a lot of stress and a lot of is it like really frustrating for jewish people
2: from my understanding you get a rabbi involved who can find a rule to help you justify what needs to happen again we're only talking orthodoxy here right, from right, right, me right. as a reformed jew um i support organ donation and research and whatever you want to do with your body and it depends which rabbi you ask and what kind of jewish person you ask um but in terms of him and his process that's those were the rules
1: Okay. Okay. So mom comes and now you have to tell her and tell us how that went down.
2: Yeah, that was stressful. So basically they told me that they couldn't keep his body out until his mom came. Cause it was going to be another three, four hours. Like he basically died at the same time her, her plane took off. Um, so the timing was not great. Not that anything about it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Just add it to the list. But, um, so, I had to kind of be ready to see him because they said once I saw him, they were going to take him to the morgue because they couldn't leave him sitting out for like four or five hours because Florida also because other things, (laughs) but blame Florida. So, so I finally, like, I went to see him and again, you know, I'm used to seeing people in a hospital who have died, but it was just so different being my person. And it took me a while to go in there but I'm glad I did spend some time in there. And then, right. So then I had to go pick up his mother at the airport and we kind of all knew we being myself and Rob and Jake's sister that the second she saw me, she would know that he was gone because we had arranged for her to have another ride. So I didn't have to leave the hospital. We, I was petrified and I told his sister, like, please be on FaceTime with me so that at least I'm not alone alone. So I was waiting for her and she saw me and she was like, Oh my gosh. And like, you could see her face because she was so happy to see me. Cause she was like looking for a stranger from my temple who was going to come pick her up. And she was like, Oh, it's you, you came. And then I could just see in slow-mo her face change as she realized what that meant. And she was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And then she was like, he's gone. Isn't he? I didn't even have to say a word. She knew. Um, and she, and I was like, please sit down. And like, she wouldn't sit down. So she was like wandering around with like her bags. Like she's this tiny lady. She's like, who do I have to call? What do I have? To- to do. Like she needed that few minutes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here. And when you're ready, I'll wait for you. And she ended up making all these calls and trying to make the arrangements at which point they said the funeral is going to be tomorrow. This was now Saturday evening around 9 PM. And they said the funeral is going to be tomorrow at like four. And I said, there's no way that this can all happen. They were going to bring his body down to South Florida to get, you know, purified and taken care of, fly it back up to Jersey and then we all had to get back up north and we had to inform everyone who might want to come. There's no way that was going to happen by the next day at four o'clock. But that was a bit of an issue. And finally, we decided it would be the day after at 9 a.m.
1: Which is way, that's way more time <laughs> to get a funeral all put together. I mean, that gave you a whole like 12 more hours, man. Yeah, yeah. So
0: we're like, oh, a week is so <laughs> short to plan a funeral. And you're like,
1: ha, yeah, I got you. B. Yeah.
2: That's, that's the quick turnaround. That's oh. the custom.
1: So was somebody able to sit with him? Like was traditional in the hospital? Were they good about that or did they whisk him away and you weren't able to, to carry that out? So I'm not entirely sure.
2: Um, I knew that his brother-in-law was taking care of logistics and then I got a call from the Orthodox rabbi in my town. Um, and I know that they have people who do that here. So I know that at some point, people got connected in. I'm sure he was taken care of. I just wasn't
1: aware of that part. That makes sense. Yeah. You're like, my brain was not, was not. <laughs> Lots before. of other stuff. Yeah. 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 Interesting. What, oh what is gosh. the, what is the consequence if you're not able to fulfill all of the different requirements in an Orthodox, you know, in the Orthodox tradition, what's the belief that would happen if For instance, is it just like he'd be sad because he was alone or is it like he doesn't get to go to heaven?
0: Or his soul is like in a state of unrest. Yeah. What Mel said.
1: Okay. So it's not like the end of the world. It's just like you guys are being jerks to him, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) So you're a widow and you're 32 and you have to have a funeral the next day at nine in the
1: morning.
0: (laughs) Tell us how that went. Do you remember it? I mean, that's so much. Well, I do.
2: I do. And I remember just like driving in with my family and seeing all these people I knew and being like, oh, my God, I can't believe they came. Oh, my God, I can't believe they came. Right. Like 9 a.m. on a Monday, getting out to Jersey is like rush hour, so much traffic, etc. And uh You know, I was just like, I can't believe they made it here. Um, And the ceremony was orthodox, but I wrote this eulogy on the plane. I wrote a eulogy for him and I knew that's what he wanted me to do. And I gave that eulogy and I didn't cry and I got through it. And that was the first time that I felt him with me. The first of many times that I have felt him with me when I'm doing something difficult since he died. Um, But he wanted me to get those words out. And I just, I just know that. So, um, it was actually as meaningful as it could have been. I got to share my words and share that part of him, um, and that part of our relationship. And I brought some of his Byzantine soldier action figures that I put in the dirt so that he could have them. We have a whole display in our house.
1: Yeah. Does everybody have a, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he could tell you like
2: the costumes and the armor and the helmets, what everything meant, what years they were from. So, they're still there.
1: (laughs) I love that. So, that's been how many months ago? It's not that many. Just about eight. So,
0: you have a position as clergy, but you're a human also. And you're a widow like us, and you have a brain, and you probably have widow brain, and you have feelings, and you have all of those things. Tell us what it's been like for you since Jake died.
2: My congregation has been absolutely wonderful and supportive. I, again, I had been their rabbi two and a half months. Okay. That's nothing right. They barely knew me, but also because of COVID, I'd barely met anyone. And I went back up North to kind of do the funeral stuff and be with my parents. And some of them did think that like, I wasn't going to come back and I don't blame them for that. Uh, But I did, they said, take all the time you need. I ended up taking about five to six weeks out of the office and kind of gradually coming back in. Um, But when I got back to Florida, they did a beautiful Shiva service, which is like a memorial service. Um, The point is really just to gather and to express your support for people. And it was lovely. And there were probably close to 100 people there. And they all came, Mm -hmm. people who I hadn't even met. And ever since then, they have been just so supportive. They cooked me dinner every Friday for for Shabbat, for our Sabbath. So many other things that I'm not remembering, um, made donations on his behalf, um, sent me stuff from New York that they knew I would like, all this stuff. And they have just been incredible and understanding and wonderful. So I'm very grateful. That's a congregation, Avat Chesed, the Temple Jacks. I love you. And uh, they're the best. And so there was that part of it. And the other part of it is my job is not uh, routine based. Every day is different. Every hour is different. And so as I went back to work, it was really a struggle for me to navigate my energy levels and to know what I was capable of and where I would reach my boundary. I had to, I felt like I had to conserve my energy a lot. I'm someone who likes to, you know, give. I'm a leader. I want to be there for my community. It's a new job. I need to learn things and do things. And, create. And I just had to really listen to myself and be patient with myself and say, okay, today needs to be a half day because I just can't focus. Or when I had one long day, I know I was going in late the next day. And luckily my job enables me to do that, but it really forced me to be mindful of my feelings constantly. Like, where am I right now? Can I do this or can I not? Because I didn't want to do things, you know, half well, I wanted to either do it or not. And So that was my struggle at first because I just was all over the place and I'm very type A and organized and it drove me nuts that I would put something on my calendar and not know if I'd be able to actually do it. Um, So other people were much more understanding of me than I was of myself. And I just had to be really patient and really reflective. And, you know, I have a wonderful therapist who I've had since before, and I've met a support group here as well. And those sources of you know, support really helped me to kind of navigate that and put myself first, which I'm also not used to doing. And that was the beginning and things have constantly changed. So
1: So in your role, your job as a clergyman is to provide comfort to those who are going through really stressful or even things that might shake people's faith. But now all of a sudden you're in this position where you're the one who needs comfort. Did you ever feel like that was a really difficult position to be in. You're like, I can't provide comfort for anybody else. Like right now, like I'm, I'm a mess. Did you ever struggle with that? And number two, I didn't say it was a two part question, but I'm going to do that anyway, (laughs) is did you find that it shook your faith at all? Did you have moments where you were like, I need somebody else to step in and say like, no, like everything's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. All of those types of things.
2: Yes. So part one Um, I felt very fragile at the beginning. And I kind of discussed with my colleagues that, you know, I'm not doing any funerals. I'm not doing any hospital visits. I'm not doing any, you know, memorial services for a while. I actually just did my first funeral two weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, how how did you fare? So I was scared. Um, It happened because there was just a perfect storm of events and there's not a ton of rabbis on call in Jacksonville, but it, it ended up being very meaningful. And I realized when I was there that I missed doing them because it's one of the most meaningful parts of my job. And the reason why I went into this was so that I could be with people in these moments. So you're exactly right, Anita, like that's a big part of what I do and who I am. Um, But I will tell this really cool story about my first funeral. So it was outside by the by the graveside. And the family was under a tent and I was at a podium, which was positioned very carefully. So the camera could get me on zoom and it was cloudy. And so I started the service and it was fine. And then I began to read, um, this poem by, um, Hannah Senesh, who is a, a famous uh, Jewish poet who also, she died tragically. And the poem says that, There are stars up above so far away, we only see their light after the star is gone. And so it is with people that we love. Their memories keep shining ever brightly, though their time with us is done. And as I was reading about memories and stars and light, the clouds just parted and the sun came out and it wasn't a gradual thing. It was like, boom, it's cloudy right now. And a second later, it is just beaming down sun on me. And I was like, oh, hey, Jake,
1: you're here. He was giving you a high sunshine five for giving an awesome memorial <laughs> sermon. And oh, that's the right word. yeah, it
2: was, yeah, reading. A and reading. But then when I finished the service, the clouds came back and the sun went away. Wow. So wow. that was even more, it was that whole moment and it was 20 minutes. It wasn't that long, but it was the timing when I was reading that thing about light. And then at the end, it just went away. And that was beautiful.
1: Those people were so lucky that you were there to do the service for them because they had like a, like a, a vision almost. <laughs> that. So
0: did you feel like that was one of the moments where Jake was with you, like his presence was absolutely?
1: With you? Um, good job. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, he's, I I always used to say he's not a subtle human and it's true. It's still true. Not a subtle human.
1: He's not a subtle (laughs) angel now.
2: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, in terms of, you know, being with people during those moments, this unfortunately just gives me greater understanding, right? It gives me greater experience to be able to do my job it's, you know, not planned. And unfortunately that's how it works. You know, what to say to people when a loved one is dying or has just died and how to be present. Um, having been through that though, everyone's journey is different. I, my empathy and my sense of, you know, what to do and what to say is just heightened. Um, and I've started to do more and more of that. I haven't really done hospital visits yet, especially not to the hospital he was at. Um, I don't know when I'll be ready to go back there, but little by little, And I'm lucky that my community has afforded me that grace to be able to, you know, really listen to when I'm ready to go back. And in terms of my own faith, this might be weird, but I felt even more connected with God. One of my favorite theological ideas is by this contemporary rabbi named Art Green. And he says, God is in those indescribable moments in life where you just feel the emotion, but you can't put words to it. and that's, that's what I believe that God is. It's God is a presence. And when I am just like sobbing because I miss him so much, like that's a holy moment because that shows the love that we had and how much he added to my life. And even in just five years. And so that is really important to me. And I, I started leading services again in front of people about when I got back. So beginning of November and for a long time, I just, I couldn't pray. I led services. I felt God, but I couldn't believe the words that I was saying. And again, I've, I'm someone who likes to be fully present in what I do. So it was also weird for me. And I just had to remind myself to be patient, but slowly I began to believe some of the words, like there's this one prayer that asked God to, to watch over us and when we go to bed, spread over us a shelter of peace. And that one spoke to me. Like, at least I can, I can pray for that, right? I don't have to thank God for everything being amazing, but I can long for that peace and that safety. And so that's kind of where I am. I'm, I'm feeling God so differently, but I also feel God like when I feel Jake show up. So it's there.
1: I think we've talked about this before, but. On Instagram, many, many months ago, we did a survey, and one of the questions was, "Have you grown closer to your religious beliefs or have you grown farther away from your religious 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 beliefs after the death of your person?" And on the like the visual scale, it was right in the middle, so it was like nobody had changed. but then when I looked at the data, it was like half and half, half had grown stronger. And half had lost some of their faith. And so it looked like, so the average was like nobody had changed at all. But I thought that was so interesting that half of the people, it made them feel more connected to their God or their spirituality and half the people it had pulled them away from that. So I always think it's interesting that it can go really either way. And I don't think it's odd either way either. I can see how it can happen both ways, really. Absolutely.
0: So have you met many other young widows in person in your area?
2: I have not. I have a grief group that I'm part of that is for anyone who's lost a loved one. And we meet every other week on Zoom, even though we all live in the area and they've been wonderful. And I feel like they're all, it's like my wise circle of women and they're lovely people. And it's been really nice to have them in my life. And I met someone named Amy. So I'm going to shout out Amy in a Facebook group that was not Widow We Do Now, but it was another one. Uh, but now we're both in widow. We do now. So we're in the right spot, Perfect. but uh, (laughs) yeah, she's the best. So she, we have similar stories and timelines where, you know, she's also in her thirties. Her husband died a couple of weeks before Jake same year. Um, And we talk almost every day and are on this journey together and she's a therapist. So we're both people who are interested in, you know, emotion and feeling and caring for others. And it's been such a wonderful friendship. And we're going to meet up this summer for a little vacation together. So I'm very excited to meet her actually in
1: person. I want to ask you a question. And if you want to tell me you don't want to answer this question, that's fine. Because this can be a sensitive topic. Were you and Jake wanting to have a family together? Was that something that was on your radar? Or were you happy to be Kidless.
2: So one of the intense commandments of Judaism, especially Orthodox Judaism, is to have a lot of kids because we have to uh, make sure that our people are growing and thriving. And so he, again, in his not being a subtle human, was always like, let's have five kids, let's have six kids. Um, and at the time, you know, we lived in New York and New Jersey. I was like, yeah, OK, this is this is going to happen And once we realized we were going to Jacksonville, we actually started to dream of, you know, the white picket fence and the yard and the dog, because the cost of living here is so different than in New York. And we said, hold on a second. We could actually have a life that we dream of, right? And we can have dreams and not just say, okay, well, here's what we can afford in New York. Um, But here's where life has brought us. And here's what we want out of it and so it wasn't it wasn't imminent you know we hadn't really started planning anything but it was a dream and we talked about it and we even talked about names and things we wanted to teach them and things we wanted to do together and how we were going to share both of our judaisms with them um and so we you know we did talk about that and we had gotten a dog and he was a symbol of our future together and he was Jake's dog. He adored him. Jake was training him to be a service animal so that if, you know, Jake had health issues, he could help out. And, uh, so the, like the dream was starting and we were, when we were moved to Florida, we were the happiest that we had ever been. And I'm grateful because that was three months where he was just so happy. And we both would say to each other almost daily, I can't believe how depressed I was in New Jersey. I can't believe how unhappy I was. We only realized that because when we got to Florida, we were just so happy. Like we really felt like we were starting our lives together, you know, with COVID weddings and, you know, not everything going the way that we had expected. Um, This was like a blank slate for us. And this was a place we could settle and, and build our roots and build our home and grow my temple community and just be present for forever um so that dream was very very tangible and at least you know he died the happiest he had ever been which i guess is the best you can wish for someone
1: so i guess florida's not yeah. all bad <laughs> <laughs> you have beaches and stuff and right
0: like oranges
2: <laughs> Disney okay. World. there are oranges yes disney disney's cool
0: I have another question for you that you do not have to answer if you do not want to. And I know that especially during this like tender time of within just eight months, this is not something people usually want to talk about. But my question is about like in Judaism, if you become a widow and you're a rabbi, can you get remarried if you want to later? You don't have to answer if you don't want to no so i I can get remarried i
2: will say this is good because i'm i'm kind of exploring my dual identities of widow and rabbi and what that means for me but um it's funny because i'm a public figure right and so i have even had someone say to me a couple months ago oh we should you know get a singles group started at temple so we can find someone for you Yeah. Not super ready right now. Appreciate the intent. Um, But yes, I mean, were I to date and and get married again, that is not a problem in terms of my job or in terms of my religion. And Jake used to like to have these conversations with me um, because he said, I'm not healthy. I'm going to die before you. And here's what I want for you. I want you to not dwell on me and go out and meet someone and be happy.
0: Really? Mm Mm-hmm wow.
2: (laughs) So I, and I would like hit him and be like, can we please stop talking about this? And just like watch Bob's burgers. Like why? are? (laughs) (laughs) But that is such a gift that he gave me. Um, because I, you know, we know our partners, we know they want us to be happy, but he explicitly said to me, I want you to meet someone and move on. And that's really powerful to think about, you know, if, and when I'm ready for that moment, that, you know, he explicitly said that to me. I live in a small community. I live in a community where everyone knows me. The Jewish community is very intertwined. And so it's been this fascinating experience of even now, right? Eight months later, I'm doing a community event or I'm, you know, somewhere in the public area and someone comes up to me and says, I'm sorry for your loss. And they know I've never met this person, but they know my whole story. And you know, I'm in front of everyone and people can comment on my grief or how I look or, oh, you know, it looks like you're doing really well, or I hope you're taking care of yourself, or I hope you're eating. You know, I have a million grandmas at my temple and I adore them all.
0: (laughs) Um, They're
2: amazing. And it's also like my, you know, my grief journey is on display a little bit and it's in front of people and they know me and, you know, it is, it's, it's hard for me, you know, at seven, eight months in, when someone comes up to me and says, "Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss." Like, thanks, you know, I don't, <laughs> right? It doesn't. It's not the same as it would have been, you know, a month, two months out. So I'm still, so, I'm navigating that too. Of, you know, that's a reminder that I don't necessarily always need if I'm having, you know, a, a relatively functional day. Um, but it, it does also feel nice that people care and that I'm like surrounded by this energy that wants me to heal and is there to help me. But it's just a fascinating way of having to process grief and this loss, you know, as part of, in front of people, um, as part of a community where they know who I am.
1: I got adopted by, a, I call her my Jewish mama. She's in New York over Instagram, <laughs> never met her, but she sends me bagels sometimes. It's, it's the really? best. Yeah. <laughs> Rivka, hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I know we talk about it and every once in a while she'd be like, I'm going to light a candle and like do different, you know, Jewish things that I'm not familiar with. And it's actually really kind of sweet and nice just to know that somebody's out there who, you know, like cares about you, even though it's super random and kind of funny. Yeah. I want a Jewish grandma. I'll, I'll see if she'll adopt would you, too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm old enough to
1: be my grandma. Just my mom. My mom. Yeah,
0: Maya, you can send me some of your. <laughs>
1: they would love They would love it. <laughs> Oh, man. Maya, you guys, if you saw Maya on our screen, she's just not what you would think of when you think of, like, a rabbi. You know, she's, like, super smiley and cute and just not, like, I don't know what you think of as a rabbi, like Mel said. (laughs) An old guy.
0: A man in a suit. Yeah. Well, and thank you for for educating us on the different facets of Judaism and and all that it can be and I think that's so informative just the more that we know the more that we're able to understand people and where they're coming from and and view everybody as humans
1: absolutely so thank Maya we have a special question that we need to ask you before we're done talking to you
0: yeah I'm so excited to ask you this may I do Do the the honors (laughs) what is your favorite cheese (laughs) I've been pondering
2: this as a rabbi I like to reflect and analyze so uh, there are many options so my my favorite food is mac and cheese Mm. so I like a good cheddar that goes in mac and cheese I like a good mozzarella like anything I can mix and match over my noodles is fantastic
1: Mm. noodles plus cheese that's good never a problem yay thank
0: you so much for being here rabbi Maya (laughs) so great to meet you and to have you and we are honored and we're so sorry that you're in the same boat as us but keep helping the people you're you're doing good things and when you're in like a helping profession the world really needs you so thanks for your example and for your public display of grief and i'm sorry for your loss as well because it sounds like it's also our loss i'm bummed out that i couldn't meet jake he sounds fun he was a party yeah (laughs) it was a good time and thank you, too, for making the
2: boat so fun and giving uh, all of this so much. Boat, the party
1: We're the cruise widow
2: ship. Party if you ever make it back to my neck of the woods, we'll have to do a party cruise. Oh, that would be the so Jacksonville. Fun.
1: Yeah. With some That's
2: special fun. blessings.
1: Thank you so much, Maya, for joining us today. We hope everybody has enjoyed Maya as much as we have. Make sure you check out the Widow Wives Club. It's our private Facebook group. And make sure you answer all the questions so we can make our group a safe place. If you want to keep the podcast going, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com WWDN.
0: If you'd like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. Until we get to talk to you again,
1: I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Maya. We're just two young widows. And let's face it, a widow with the best superhero name. The rabbi widow. And we're all just trying <laughs> to figure out.
0: Widow. We do. Now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow. Your person is dead, you might have kids. You might need another option and you just want your phone to work. You want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month.
1: It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks and so you don't have to pay extra for that and you still get great service.
0: Yep. Anita and I have traveled